Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like? Then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. In this episode, we're going to discuss the six most surprising experiences I discovered while pregnant in anesthesiology residency and during my first year as an attending. Now, residency undoubtedly is hard. Fellowship is hard. And you throw in being pregnant and all that follows with going home to a newborn. It can feel like training is just insurmountable under those circumstances. But with the right support system, it's not. I had my firstborn as a first-year anesthesiology resident. I had my middle child as a third year. And then my last child during my first year as an attending. Now, you might be asking yourself, did you plan it this way? No, (laughs) I didn't. I mean, you know, it's God's timing. What are you going to do? You know, I was still able to complete residency on time. By the grace of God, I had no pregnancy complications. And my husband, who's not a physician, was able to take the babies to daycare and their pediatrician appointments. All right, so let's get into it. The number one was how excited patients were for me. When I started off as a CA1, I just wanted patients to see me as their anesthesiologist. Let me go through the history, share with me their concerns. But instead, what I constantly got was, oh my goodness, look what we have here. You're going to be our doctor? Oh, you are just about ready to pop. Now, I went to residency in St. Louis. The patients are very country. And they just had their barrage of questions. Without fail, I was asked the same set of questions every day, multiple times a day, to the point where I was considering just making a business card. Such questions. Is this your first one? Do you know what you're having? Are you carrying twins? Do you have a name picked out? When are you due? I bet your family is so excited. And those patients who didn't engage in the barrage of questions just had this huge sheepish grin on their face all while I was asking the preoperative questions as if to say, I know what you did last summer. (laughs) As a CA1 in a new program, I wanted to show that I could be like everyone else. So instead of finding these questions cute and entertaining, I at the time was really annoyed by them. I wanted to be like the other residents, damn it. I'm your doctor. Respect my authority. 
But instead, the patients cooed over me and surgery became an afterthought. Now, I bumped into a colleague on campus who was noticeably pregnant too, except she was a PhD, so she was more on the research side. And we stopped to chat and I said, girl, tell me how you are handling the barrage of questions from people. And she just looked at me so confused. And I walked her through what I went through. And she just looked down and said, oh, uh, that, that doesn't happen to me. I would welcome it. That realization really made me appreciate the patients because it, it allowed me a space to, to celebrate and appreciate the pregnancy instead of treating it like just something I'm dealing with. And the pregnancy allowed patients to see me as a whole person. Imagine how much more enhanced the patient-physician relationship would be if we consistently saw each other as whole people. If we see patients as more than their pathology and patients saw us as more than just another physician in their long line of doctors. That sacredness of the doctor-patient relationship really comes from acknowledging their humanity first. Yet so often this is an afterthought, you know, something we discuss briefly to fill the time as we walk from that preoperative area to the operating room. Second, most surprising is how other women anesthesiologists opened up to me about their struggles with fertility and being a mother in medicine. And I did not anticipate like this outpouring of stories. If I was not pregnant, it would have just been another day, just like any other, all the conversations grounded in discussing the patient and the surgical case that day. And I got that. But from the women, it was so much deeper. Their stories to me, some were funny, like an anesthesiologist who she didn't get relieved to go pump. So she said, you know what? Screw this. She took out her breast pump, got down to business right there during her long case. And the breast pumps, you know, it made that classic sound. And so everyone in the OR heard the. And the surgeon called over the drape. You know, what is that noise? To which she responded, my breast pump. And a collective hush, she told me, came over the OR. And now the circulator was calling on the phone to get her relief so she can go pump in peace. Other stories were sad. You know, women shared with me their miscarriages and how some of them would still show up to work the next day because they did not want to provide any reason for being out can you imagine commandeering that kind of strength given the loss and simultaneously how tragic it is that they felt that just trudging on was really the only option in a system that is so male dominated? This is our reality, unfortunately. The medical system does not offer support for delicate matters like this. There are some women who said they used a sick day and they just remarked at how weird it was to just keep going along like nothing 
happened. Now, perhaps times have changed where there is some space and support when this happens, such as miscarriages, uh, but certainly there wasn't any in the years I was training, 2012 to 2016. After hearing their stories, I saw these women in a new light, one that was far more esteemed than the titles they carry. You are a walking superhero because what they did required strength beyond normal human capacity. And we need to share these stories. Miscarriages happen far more often than you think. And yet when it happens, it's so isolating. For anesthesiologists, a survey-based study in 2015 found that miscarriages and birth defects were higher in the anesthesiologists that worked in the OR during their first trimester compared to those who had not. We have to share our stories and allow the collective insights to change the culture and inform our policy. The third, a surprising experience. This third one, though, you might be like, was it really surprising? Was it? Was how clueless men were. So I, I did my intern year somewhere else. And when I interviewed for this residency program, I had no idea I would be pregnant. So now imagine me showing up to this program for the very first time as a CA1, and now I'm pregnant. I just, I did not know how this news was going to be received. I didn't really know the best way to deliver it. So I scheduled a meeting, took a lot of courage for me to express this to my program director, which is a white male. I was really just treading completely unknown waters uh, in an unknown land. Um, So when I expressed that I was pregnant, the first question I was asked was, did you plan this? That's how it was asked. Did you plan this? And I was like, excuse me? I mean, it caught me off guard. And I said, it's just, it's God's timing. Uh, and, And there was just this awkward silence. And I was put in touch with the scheduling chief resident, also a white male. And he proceeded to tell me in complete just dryness, stoicness, that I would be on ICU Q3 call during my third trimester. I said, no, I'm not. (laughs) I mean, we clearly have to change that. Um, And he was quite resistant But once I threatened to take months off, then he said, okay, I'll I'll change it. I think it's sad that the conversation had to go to that point. Another clueless white guy encounter came up shortly when I came back from maternity leave. Here I was, first year attending, solo in a room. And I made it very clear when I came back that I'm lactating and I need to pump. So it's not a surprise Uh, making it very clear in the very start of the morning that these are going to be my needs. So that day, uh, you know, again, I reiterated my needs the morning before the cases started. And four hours goes by. I make sure to pump prior to cases starting. But now, you know, four hours later, still no break, no morning break, nothing. I had this terrible engorgement pain. Um, it feels like a horse 
kicked you squarely in the chest. It is dizzying how it feels. So I called the board runner and reminded him, I need relief now. To which he responded, can you hold it? I'm like, does he think this is like going to the bathroom? Is he mad? I said, I paused and I said, I need someone in this room right now. In all these instances, the attitudes that I encountered were one of just complete obliviousness, um, selfishness, no support. I had to fight and advocate for myself and put my foot down. This is not negotiable. This is not a would, could, it would be great if... No, I need this now. And you are going to have to fight and advocate for yourself too, because no one is going to go out of their way to ensure that you've hydrated, you've eaten, you've pumped, you've had a break, nothing. Even when you have another life in your body, your pelvis is cracking, feet swollen, lower back aching, you have to speak up. Now, some of you are in programs where they actually are mindful. You're constantly being checked on, ensured that you are okay. And amen for those programs. Please know that that program is the exception. It's not the rule, unfortunately. Fourth surprising experience (laughs) as a pregnant anesthesiology trainee was how cruel uh, women can be. So thankfully, this happened very little. Overwhelmingly, pregnancy showed me how much I share with other women. It's almost as if it opened up this sisterhood kinship. I didn't even know I had. Um, But this one instance stands out. Now, when you're pregnant, you really shouldn't be put in vascular or orthopedic rooms, given the amount of x-ray used. And ideally, you shouldn't be put in burn rooms where it's hot and smelly. Um, But alas, here I was in an ortho room, which this ortho room wasn't your usual, you know, double shield and, you know, stand back six feet or more kind of thing. This ortho room, they were using methyl methacrylate for a total joint. Now, the fumes from this methyl methacrylate can reach an unborn baby. And generally, you want pregnant women to leave the room when it is being mixed. The orthopedic surgeon, a woman, um, she said, well, I had a bone cement baby. He turned out fine. It took the surgical tech to say, I'm not opening this until she leaves the room. And he pointed to me. They did find someone to take over that case. And I was reassigned to another room. Your allies could come from the most unexpected places. And he was able to do for me what. I was having a hard time doing for myself, especially in the face of another woman who took a risk on her unborn child and thought that I should be forced to take the same risk. Fifth thing, and again, you might not find this to be all that surprising, but how little administrative support there was. 
there's no no maternity leave, no protected time to pump. Residency just it was very clear with the lack of admin support that residency does not celebrate your pregnancy. I was literally treated like, oh, this is just something Alicia is dealing with. You know, when I was on call, I was provided the four pagers like everyone else, the code pager, trauma pager, personal pager. Then I had my bat phone and I remember clipping these to my pants um, and how challenging it was because I had to like move my belly to the side to see which pager was going off. And it was a total failure. Like I would have to just like take off all the pagers all the time. And then I'm clipping them on again all the time. I tried to clip them to the hem of my shirt, but they were just too heavy. Um, And it was just this constant cycle of lift belly, clip pager, dump all pagers on anesthesia workstation or gall bed, lift belly again to reclip all pagers, all while making sure my pants were tied tight enough so they didn't fall down. I took no days off so that I can bank my three weeks vacation and three weeks sick leave into a six week just maternity leave. Again, there was no maternity leave. I had to bank the three weeks vacation, the three weeks sick leave. And it wasn't until after I had my last baby as an attending that I said, wow, six weeks wasn't enough time. I was able to have 12 weeks paid leave with my last child. And to only spend six weeks with my oldest children and two of those six weeks were really me learning to walk normally because I required C-sections. When I came back from maternity leave, I had to sneak and pump. Thankfully, where I trained, the OB suite was not that far from the OR suite and they had hospital grade breast pumps for new moms. So I would go into these lactation rooms prior to the morning cases, during my morning break, during lunch, prior to going home. And these pumps allowed me to finish in like 15 minutes instead of the 30 that it took from my home pump. When I was on call though, I definitely had to be more transparent about going to pump because the last thing you want is to have those cups on your nipples and you get called to a code. I have heard stories of women who unfortunately this happened to them. You know, they they ripped everything off, ran to the code only to return to the call room with a note expressing how disgusting they are because they left such a mess. And then their bottles were placed in a sink and their stuff moved around. And I mean, honestly, it's it's heartbreaking. Um, but the valuable lesson to learn from that is by trying to please everyone, you please no one. You know, that mom who ran to that coach, she couldn't even use the milk because someone was clearly in the call room and moving her stuff. And to throw away you know, breast milk is is heart-wrenching. Breast milk is liquid gold. You don't want to spill even a drop. And I realized that I was fortunate during the time to have a great place to go and pump because not many women have this access. Another survey-based study by Flynn in 2020 found that lactation spaces were suitable only 30% of the time, which means over 60% of the time you're gambling. And FYI, a bathroom is not a suitable lactation space. Breast milk is not a waste product. It is a complete meal. 
That saved 16 grown adults who were lost at sea for 12 days. If you don't believe me, check out the Chicago Tribune, February 7th, 2001. And finally, a surprising experience was that overnight call felt like a guilty pleasure. (laughs) After going back to work, like most moms, you know, I had pangs of guilt for not being able to be with my newborn. But on call, I was able to indulge in a pleasure I hadn't had for six weeks, which is hours of uninterrupted sleep. I got at least four continuous hours of sleep while on call. It was amazing. When I got home in the morning, I saw the bags under my husband's eyes and I had to just kind of suppress my grin because that little bit of continuous sleep, I didn't realize how much I needed that. Now, one way that I did remain connected to my baby to decrease some of the pangs of guilt was pumping, being able to express the breast milk and have that for the babies when I came home. And so one of the routines that my husband would fall into when he sees me come in in the morning was he'd say, you got the stuff? And I'd pass him my my breast milk bag where he would not only count the bottles, but how much was in each bottle. And it gotten so he learned if I did right by how heavy <laughs> the bag was or not. And look, I'm not a drug dealer. I've never been involved in drug dealing, but it really felt (laughs) like there was some kind of, you know, like exchange here where I was expected to come home with a certain amount of breast milk. And I got the nod of approval if I was able to pump the amount needed. And then I got the look of complete like disdain if that bag was too light. Because our babies did not take too kindly to a formula. Pumping allowed me to feel present with my babies, um, even though I wasn't physically there. And overnight call felt indulgent. It afforded me time for myself that I was not getting at home due to a newborn. (laughs) So to recap, the six most surprising experiences during pregnancy as an anesthesiology resident was the enthusiasm of the patients, the shared vulnerability of other women, the depths of cluelessness of the men involved, uh, how some women can be cruel, the lack of administrative support, and finally, the self-indulgent nature of overnight call. I wish within the culture of anesthesiology and medicine at large that it would give space for us to bring our complete selves instead of pregnancy and fertility struggles being wrapped in this shroud of secrecy. Physicians, we must heal thyself. And corporate medicine, as we are experiencing it now, is not providing that for us at all. I'd like for us to keep in mind what Gabby Bernstein said. We put enormous effort into hiding our vulnerability but it is our vulnerability that truly heals. When we feel safe enough to expose our shadows, that's when we become free. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday. 
because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.